I'd just like to open in prayer tonight. Okay. Heavenly Father, we are just overwhelmed with your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share this with my brothers and sisters tonight and whoever's listening so that they will know that the Lord is good, he is faithful, he is true to his word. And I thank you, Father, for everything you've done in my life that you're going to do in the lives of the people who are listening tonight. I believe that this is your word for them, and they are going to receive what you want them to hear. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I was asked again to speak. <laughs> Some of you might be asked to speak, too. And... Um, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about, you know, if I get asked to speak, what am I going to talk about? You know, <laughs> that's the big thing. And um, I was thinking last year, you know, Pastor Gary had his five scriptures for the year. And then Pastor Paul had his five bedrock truths. And they really got me thinking about it. I thought, well, what are my five scriptures? What are my five bedrock truths? And um, so tonight I'm going to I guess I wouldn't say that they're the only scriptures by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to talk about some scriptures that have changed my life. Not just nice scriptures, but ones that have been life-changing. And they're probably all ones you've heard before. And although there are four, I've got a lot of other scripture to back them up. So we'll be in the Word a lot tonight. <laughs> so the the very first one, I just want to set it up and, and say that when I was a child, I went to church in Sunday school. Maybe some of you did as well. And it, w it was the habit of everyone to go to church back in those days because I'm getting up there, and I went to school in the 50s and 60s. And all my friends and I, we all went to church. That didn't mean we were saved. That didn't mean we were Christians, but everybody went to church because it was the thing to do. But the good thing about it was that, was that I heard the Word of God. Like, I wasn't in a church like this. I, I was mainly Anglican and United. That's where I went. And, but we still heard the Bible stories. We heard some scripture. We sang some of the great old hymns. There are some awesome old hymns. And so I was exposed to the things of God, even though I didn't understand them that much. And you know what it's so great about bringing the word to children, is that usually their hearts are pretty good soil. Children aren't hardened and jaded yet. Most aren't. So they're, they're open. So I was taking it in, you know. I didn't really understand it, but it was still finding a place in my heart. But after a while, my parents stopped going to church, and then I just drifted away and lived my life like everybody else does in the world, you know. I believed in God, but it didn't make any difference in my life. So when I was in my early 20s, and I can only say the only reason it happened because somebody had to be praying for me. I have a lot of relatives that are saved, grandparents, aunts and uncles. And they never got to really talk to me because they lived on the West Coast, and I was living at the time in Ontario. So I hardly ever saw them. And... Still, their prayers were working, and I started looking at my life and saying, you know, 
I just feel like my life is empty. It's selfish. It has no purpose. And I don't want to live like this. But I didn't know what to do about it. And I kind of felt that way for like over a year, probably. And then um, I came to Nova Scotia because my dad, he was in the forces. We moved around a lot and he came to Halifax. So I came here, but I was an adult by then. I moved out of the house, got a job, had my own apartment. So I was kind of free at that point. (laughs) But I was still seeking. And when I was a kid in Sunday school, one of the things they gave us was a Bible. And I kept it all those years because even though I didn't read it, I just thought, Bibles are special, you know, you don't just get rid of Bibles. So I had my Bible. And I I had this belief, and again, I think this is because of prayer, even though I didn't know what I was looking for, I believed that there was one truth that all men could live by. There was one way to live. And so I prayed to God, and I said, God, I want you to show me the right way and the right truth. And if you do, I'll turn around 180 degrees. But you got to show me, because I don't know what it is. <laughs> and so maybe shortly after that, I, I thought, well, I'll get my Bible out and read it. And it was a long time ago. I don't re- remember all the details. But I think I looked in the Gospel of John, because I'd heard that was a good book to read. So This brings me to my very first scripture that changed my life, the one that brought me to Christ. And it's one we all know very well. It's John 14, 6. And it said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when I was reading that, God started speaking to me. Not in an audible voice, but he started speaking to me and he said, You ask me to show you the right way. Well, Jesus is the right way. And then he said, you ask me to show you the truth. Well, Jesus is the truth. And then I read, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus speaking. And I I didn't understand that. I was saying to God, well, what does that mean? Like, how come? And God just said to me, don't try and figure it out. Just accept it. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I asked, you know, (laughs) this just might be it. So at that moment, I just said, Jesus, I want you. And when I said that, Jesus came. It wasn't like your sinner's prayer that, you know, we're taught. But God knows what we mean sometimes when we're calling on his name. So he came, and in that moment, I knew that the Bible was true. And I knew it was all true. And so I started reading the Bible. I started going to church and prayer meetings and Bible studies. I just immersed myself in it because it was life to me. Every time I was reading the Word, it was just alive. And I just want to connect this with another verse in John, John 3.3. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so before I asked Jesus, I was not born again. So, of course, I couldn't understand. People don't understand, but they're still hungry. And so when you receive Jesus, just that simple act, I was born again, and I started receiving understanding. So that is my first life 
changing scripture. You got to start there. <laughs> but, you know, I just am so thankful to God that even if we're not in church and people are preaching at us, you know, those seeds that get planted in us at childhood, um, or some seed that's even planted later on in life, people are out there. They're not in church. They may be in a prison cell, in a hospital bed. And if they call on the name of the Lord with a sincere heart, God answers. He's there. And that just is t- amazing to me. It's exciting, you know. So there's no formula. There, there are ways to help people come to Christ, but sometimes there's no formula. We, we think there is, but there isn't. So the next scripture um, is something that happened to me after, you know, shortly after I got saved, Dave and I got married. We were both new Christians. We didn't know anything, really. <laughs> and we had some children. And I just went into this period of time where I was in a real slump. I felt really discouraged. And due to some circumstances, I felt that I was a total failure to God, a failure as a wife, as a mother, as a Christian. I just felt so low. How could God love me? And probably a lot of us will have times like that when we go through that. And at least though I sought God and I stayed in the Word, and God started to speak to me through a portion of Scripture. And this is found in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation here. And there's a title on it. It says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And so God started speaking to me right there. He said, I am for you. Even if you you failed and you've sinned and you've messed up, God is still for you. Goes on to say, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us or interceding for us. And isn't it good to know that Jesus is interceding for us? How can we lose? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that 
was just something he spoke into my life at that time. And it propelled me out of that funk that I was in. And I got my confidence back. (laughs) But, you know, I find that um, sometimes it's when you're at your lowest points, that's when God can really reveal his love to you. Because otherwise we think, sometimes you think, well, I deserve it. You know, I've I've been a good Christian this week, so I did some good stuff. So God should love me. But when you're in those low points and he reveals its love, his love, it's, it's very precious, and you don't forget it. So I love that. It's, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? God is for everybody tonight in this place and who's watching. If you've received Jesus, God is for you. And even if you've messed up big time, he has not left you. And he will bring you back. (laughs) Just have to humble yourself and come back to the Lord, and he will receive you. Okay. Now, the next scripture, another life-changing one, um, happened probably a few years later after this. One of my, um, I guess it was a sin, you call it a sin that I dealt with, was fear, worry, and anxiety. Anybody ever deal with that here? (laughs) But it was big in my life. I mean, from the time I can remember as a child, I had a lot of fear. And as I went into adulthood, it was, you know, you're, you're used to it. You think that's normal. You just live with it. And so even as a Christian, even though I knew it meant me mis- made me miserable, <laughs> I still tolerated because I really didn't, I thought it was my job to worry. That was my responsibility. I had to figure things out. I had to fix things. And so that's what I did. My, my mind was a busy place. <laughs> But I remember one year, we went on vacation, and I decided, okay, I'm going on vacation. I'm not taking my worries with me because I'm going to enjoy myself. So I put them on the shelf, had a good vacation, came back, and took them back up again. Time to start worrying again, you know? And I remember walking home from work, and I remember where I was. Um, Dale, I was walking past Maynard's Lake on Portland Street. You know where that is. (laughs) And I was worrying and trying to figure things out. And then I started to feel sick. And I said to the Lord, why do I feel sick all of a sudden? And he said, well, look what you're thinking about. And I thought, yeah, you got a point there. (laughs) And he just, he talked to me right there. Didn't have a Bible. I wasn't praying. I was walking down the street. And he brought a scripture to my mind that he wanted me to consider to deal with this worry. He said, it's a sin, you know, and I I never really thought about it that way. And so he gave me 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. And I'm, I'm reading from the New Living again. I like that version. I think Pastor Paul likes that version too, right? I don't know if it's a good version, but I like it anyways. <laughs> says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So God was really saying to me, you've got to stop those thoughts 
from coming into your mind. You know, when, when you recognize them, and I asked them to help me recognize them, because, you know, before you know it, you're, you're down the worry road. And, <laughs> you know, so I had to, to practice stopping the thoughts when they came. I just saw myself with my hand up. Stop. <laughs> I'm not taking that thought. And then he said, replace it with the Word of God. What does the Word of God has to, have to say about what you're worrying about? It says, you don't have to figure out all the, all the answers. And this sort of led to something else that Pastor Nancy talked about a couple of weeks ago, and that was being renewed in my mind. Ephesians 4.23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 12.2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <coughs> so I, I began to get a revelation of this. I had to renew my mind. I just couldn't let anything take up real estate in my head. I had to control, with God's help, what came in to my mind. And it's not something that happens overnight when you practice this. Because when you've been like that all your life, it takes a while to turn the ship around and start going in a new direction. But once you're aware of it, God will help you. He's given you the tools to deal with these things. And so one of my favorite scriptures... Everybody knows this one. I've had to use it this week already. And it really helps to deal with this problem. And that's Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. I'm going to read from the New Living again. It says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, it's, it's not easy to just say, don't worry about anything. But when it happens, start praying. Rejoice. <laughs> pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. You know, thank him for the answer. Thank him for taking a care of it ahead of time. Thank him. Be thankful. That, that's a secret right there, just being thankful every day. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Because that's kind of what we're looking for here is peace, aren't we? You know, Pastor Gary's verse, I've learned to be content. Well, that's, that's kind of peace, isn't it? It's being in peace. And when you deal with fear, worry, and anxiety, you want peace more than anything. You know, and, and we know that that is something that God has already given us. But our minds, that's the problem right there. So we're learning to renew our minds according to the Word of God. 
and they bring truth and revelation and light, and they're life-changing when you apply them. That is what is so awesome about the Word of God. So now I'm coming up to my fourth scripture here, and I might be saying a little bit more about this one. This isn't really one that um, God just spoke to me on like that. This is one that I found, and I started saying, God, I want to understand this scripture. I know that I'm not really getting it. I'm not living it. I don't even know how to live it. And so over the years, the Lord's been helping me to understand this scripture. And I, I won't say I'm totally there, but I'm on my way, you know. And so this is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. And it actually starts in 1 Peter chapter 2 that uh, Paul, or I guess Peter, Peter is setting this up for us. And he's talking here about having peace when you're in a situation where, in, the, in this um, context in the Bible, where you have to respect authority. You know, we have a lot of authority in life. We've got the government, we've got the police, kids have their parents, we have our pastors, your boss at work, wives, their husbands. There are authorities out there, and we're called to submit to authorities, which doesn't necessarily mean obedience all the time, but it's an attitude of the heart. And so Peter is giving us some examples of having that kind of submissive attitude. And first of all, he used the slaves. He said, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. So we probably don't in this country. Well, I don't know, but (laughs) not too many of us are slaves. But... It might be an employer-employee situation. You know, maybe you feel your your boss isn't treating you right. Um, But the next example Peter used, this is Jesus himself. He says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. And I I really like that, and and I think in other versions, he entrusted himself, he committed himself to God. And Jesus said some pretty tough things at times, but when he went to the cross, he was submitted to the Father's will. And he didn't try and get out of it. He didn't argue with people. He could have said a lot of things, but he didn't. He just submitted himself to what he knew he was going to have to go through. And he entrusted himself to God to take care of things. Now Peter goes on in chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, to talk to wives. 
Now, although he's using wives here, this could really apply to anybody. But he's using this example. And that's kind of why I came across it, because I'm a wife, you know. <laughs> and sometimes I'm not always the most submissive, okay? But I'm learning, right, Dave? I'm learning. <laughs> so it says, in the same way, you wives, in the same way as Jesus, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Although we like those things. but You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Like, that is the verse there that got me. I just... I said, God, how do, how do you get that? How, how does that happen? Because I knew it wasn't happening in me, you know. And this unfading beauty of a gentle, or it could be meek is another word, and quiet spirit is precious to God. And I thought, I want to have something that's precious to God. But how do I get that? How do I get there? You know, I looked up um, the word gentle or meek in the dictionary, and I, th I thought they had a good definition. Enduring, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Now, it takes something to get there, I think, you know. <laughs> but with God, we can do it because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And meekness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, so it's there. And the quiet spirit, to me, that's just peaceable. That's having peace. It's having contentment. And then um, Peter goes on to say, this is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Now, again, this is talking about wives and husbands, but this could be any situation where you may feel somebody in authority over you is taking advantage of you, not treating you fairly. And usually, some of us, you want to defend yourself. You want to fight it. You want to do something about it. And sometimes that's, you are supposed to say something and do something. But usually when you do, nothing happens. <laughs> and God. So this is where we have to learn to entrust ourselves to God and trust him. And because Peter uses the example of Sarah, I thought, okay, I'm going to look at Sarah. Because when I think about Sarah, I don't think about this unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I thought she was kind of a feisty lady. <laughs> you know, that's, she had a few things to say. She told Abraham what to do on more, probably more than one occasion. And um, so I thought, like, what gives here, you know? And Sarah's only mentioned twice in the New Testament, and this is one of them. And she's spoken of favorably here. And the other one is um, Hebrews 11. She's in Hebrews 11. Isn't that amazing? <laughs>
You probably didn't think that she belonged there, but she's there. She's Hebrews 11.11. It says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful who has promised. That's what we have to do. And so I, I went back into the Old Testament in the Genesis to read about Sarah. And I, I was kind of hard-pressed to find out how she got this gentle spirit. But I, I, sometimes when you read the Bible with the Holy Spirit, you almost kind of are reading between the lines and trying to understand what was really going on with these people. And so we know that God had a lot to say to Abraham, and when they were Abram and Sarah, he called them to go to the promised land. So Sarah went with them. That probably was a hard thing to do, to leave her home and make the journey with all of the servants and the livestock and everybody, you know? And, and then they end up in the land of Canaan. And then it seems to me Abraham was always moving. I don't know if you know, he was moving around a lot. I don't think women like to be moved around a lot. You want to just settle down and have a home. So she was moving around a lot with Abraham. And that might, you know, we don't hear her complaining. She just did it. She just went with Abraham. And at one point early on, a famine struck the land of Canaan, and they, they were off to Egypt. And this is what Abraham said to Sarah. He said, look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Well, she probably... I don't know if she had, it doesn't say she said anything. She went along with it. She did go along with it. Maybe she shouldn't, but she did. But one of the great things was that God took care of Sarah. He didn't let anything bad happen to her. And while they were there, Pharaoh gave to Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. I mean, God was fighting for this woman. This is even before the plagues in Moses' day. This was a little precursor of what was to come. I don't know what those plagues were, but it got Pharaoh's attention. <laughs> he was, I think he was mad. <laughs> And so he basically at that point says, here's your wife, get out of here, <laughs> you know. But he went out of there a little richer than when he came in. So um, time went on, and, and Sarah had the idea that um, they could have a son through Hagar, a son called Ishmael. So they, this is what happened, and I think in their minds, this was the son. So... No more believing for a son. We got a son. But during this time, um, there, was, there was a bit of a, a time of silence, or at least in the book of Genesis there was. And 13 years later, God started talking to Abraham again, and he, or Abram, and he changed his name to Ab Abraham. 
he changed Sarai's name to Sarah, and he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And then God spoke to Abraham first. He said, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. So even though she seemed like this, not really a woman of great faith at this time, God had this promise for Sarah, not just Abraham, but for Sarah. So then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I be a father at the age of 100, he thought. How can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Well, that wasn't God's plan. That was man's plan, but not God's plan. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So God corrected Abraham there. And even, you know, we, we know Sarah laughed, but Abraham laughed too. So shortly after that, God paid a visit to Abraham with a couple angels. And he said, where is Sarah, your wife? She's inside the tent, getting food ready, I guess. Then he said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. And I think God knew that, and he wanted her to hear this. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out old woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my husband is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for God? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. So that's, I guess that's about a year off in the future. She was going to have a son. And right now she's laughing. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of faith going on <laughs> at that point. <clears throat> So things happened pretty quickly after that because God also told Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah, what was going to happen. So it's, it seemed to me like practically overnight, you know, the angels went down there, took care of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham moved again. He moved to a place called Gerar in the south. And a man called Abimelech was king. So Abraham was up to his old tricks again. He said, this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And she really is my sister. So he, because they both had the same father. So he, again, with Sarah's um, willingness, I guess, she went along with it, pretended to be Abraham's sister, and she ended up in Abimelech's harem. Again, <laughs> And I don't think it would be something that she would like. But she probably had to hold her peace and trust God. <laughs> he got her out of it once before and he could do it again. 
But when Abimelech, Abimelech had a very bad dream as a result of this, God came to him in a dream and said, you're a dead man because of this man's wife. And he said, God, I didn't know. And, and, and God said, yes, I know that you did this in innocence. So he got up and did what God told him to do. And he gave Abraham some of his sheep, goats, cattle, male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. And he even said to him, look over my land and choose any place where you like to live. So suddenly Abraham was in a place of great favor, but in a way because of his wife. And then Abimelech said to Sarah, not to Abraham, he said to Sarah, look, I'm giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong that I may have done to you. This will settle any claim against me, and your rep- reputation is cleared. And I was thinking, you know, that, it, that was a lot of money, a thousand pieces of silver. I read somewhere that a piece of silver was like $125. I don't know, but it was a lot of money. And he was directing that towards her, even though he gave it to Abraham. It was for her sake. And I, you know, I thought, I really don't know what this symbolizes, but I think there's something in that thousand pieces of silver. And I looked up what a thousand symbolizes. And I read that it symbolizes immensity, fullness of quantity or multitude. And the number 1,000 evokes a very long time, according to most Bible passages. It's often used in Scripture to specify an indefinite quantity. Many early church fathers saw in the number 1,000 the totality of the generations and perfection of life. And I, I was thinking, maybe this was prophetic of the fact that she was going to be a mother of multitudes, of nations that this great quantity of people were going to come from her. Little old Sarah, you know, who had her struggles along the way. And so it was kind of a a wonderful thing God did for her in protecting her. When those two times, I don't know if there were any other times, but there were two times, she submitted herself to her husband in very difficult circumstances. And she obviously passed the test. And it says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this happened at just the time God said it would, and God named their son Isaac. So we see that God was faithful. Even at a very short period of time, he got Sarah on track to have her son so that We could read in Hebrews 11 that she had the faith to conceive a child. God did a work in her life. But it it all comes back to learning to trust God and trust yourself and your situation to God. There's some things we just can't make happen ourselves. Sometimes there's things we do, but God has his part, and we can't do his part. And while we're waiting, there's that time of being at peace and at rest, trusting him. And I'm I'm just going to finish off with a psalm, I think, that really 
kind of summarizes what I was saying tonight. You know, God loves us. He's able to communicate with us. He's able to communicate his love in a very personal way. He's able to talk to us through his word, which makes the word so exciting. And I was telling Dave today, it's like a treasure map. You know, you're discovering God's secrets that he's hidden for us in the word. They're not hidden for everybody. They're hidden from some people, but they're hidden for us to discover. And they can make all the difference in your life. So I'm just going to read the first 11 chapters of Psalm 37. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. Or we've read that the meek shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while in the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. That's what God has for us. That's what he has available for us to take advantage of. But, you know, it's a day-by-day practice. It's it's usually not an overnight thing. It's a day-by-day walking it out. And God is faithful. He who promised is faithful. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.